0: And welcome to episode 190 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St.
1: Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas.
0: In our last episode, we discussed internet privacy and the practical aspects of virtual private networks, better known as VPNs. Tom and I uh, recently presented a webinar on video conferencing And uh, yes, Tom and I actually are available for speaking engagements, (laughs) we we do that every now and then. So we have a lot of great tips and ideas for improving your video conferences that we gave in that presentation. So we thought we'd uh, share some of our best ones with our podcast audience for free. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode?
1: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll indeed be talking about how to get better at video conferencing. In our second segment, we have an audio question from a listener about Max in Law. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, video conferencing. This is another topic. I think we've, we've been covering some topics lately that really aren't new. People have been using video conferencing for some time. But lawyers, I think not so much. Uh, according to the 2016 ABA Legal Technology Resource Center survey, only a quarter of lawyers use video conferencing regularly or even occasionally. But um, others outside the legal community are actually plowing full speed ahead with video. And uh, I guess I hope uh, dragging lawyers along with them. So let's get it started, Dennis. Uh, did the Jetsons world of video phones sneak up on us while we weren't looking? You know, there is a little bit of sense of that. I mean, like you said,
0: video conferencing has been around a long time. But I I sort of think it's the the FaceTime and the other video programs, uh, you know, the Instagrams, that sort of things where people are doing video calls, I think that has snuck up on us a little bit. And that's, you know, partly younger generation, you know, as everybody likes to say that they're always all about video and FaceTime. But but I think it's also the, the older generation. So on the, the webinar time, you were saying that the lawyers, the practicing lawyers are sort of sandwiched between these two generations that are really using video live. You know, grandparents like to see their grandkids and and vice versa. So I think that you do see that that element of video being considered part of phone calls. And then also just more f- people look at videos on the internet all the time. And so I, I think the video aspect has sort of come, come into play in ways that we didn't expect. So it does seem like it kind of did uh, sneak up on on me a little bit, but I think you're right that this is an interesting time for lawyers to look at this or take a a new look at this technology. Um, And in our webinar, we said, is video conferencing the land of opportunity for lawyers? And and that's what we tried to, the question we wanted to have our audience think about. And it certainly made me think, because I I do think that uh, there's some really interesting opportunities for lawyers to use video in video conferencing these days.
1: I agree. I, um, I think that you're right. We're being dragged along by both the younger generation who is all about Snapchat and watching YouTube videos all the time. The grandparents who want to watch, uh, you know, they were the ones who flocked to Facebook. Now they're watching uh, their grandchildren on video. But it's not just them. It's the companies as well. It's the non-lawyer companies. I think that uh, one of the statistics I found is that of companies are utilizing some form of video chat uh, regularly in their daily activities, and that this is resulting in a 30% decrease in travel costs uh, because people are meeting virtually. So I think, I hate to say that it's another instance of lawyers not adapting or adapting to technology as fast as other parts, but maybe that's it. I mean, when you look at the fact that the LTRC survey said that only about a quarter of lawyers are doing it, and what was actually interesting is is that statistic was really that only about 4% of lawyers regularly use video conferencing, and then the rest, the 20% or so, are occasionally using video conferencing. So the number of lawyers who are actually doing it often is a lot lower than I think I would have expected anyway. And I think that there's a lot of kind of compelling reasons to use video. I don't know, Dennis, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about kind of the requirements for getting a service together? Do you want to talk about the services themselves? How do you wanna frame this.
0: Well, I want to I kind of set the stage a little bit for how I've seen lawyers using it and where I where I think the potential is. And so you know, I was recently at a place, uh, it's a domestic violence center is probably the best way to describe it, but they had a room, a conference room that was set up for video so that people could have hearings. And so they could connect to the courthouse and a judge or other hearing officer and things could be handled without, you know, interaction with the spouse or without having to go to a courthouse and things could be expedited that way and i said god what a what a great use of video this is something that people talked for a while and it really made sense you know i work at in mastercard and we use video conferencing all the time so so i'm used to that then i see lawyers are starting to do things where they have multiple offices where they're using video in family law estate planning with uh, you know elder law they're definitely benefits of using video conferencing and other times you have clients who just don't want to come into the office it doesn't make sense to them so video is possible there and the other place and I know you have some other examples too, Tom, but the one that really interests me is that the, you know, lawyers in a rural setting, you know, where you have a lot of distance to go and, you know, can you recover your travel costs? Do clients want to pay for that? And wouldn't they prefer doing video as opposed to coming into your office? So I think that's the stage I want to set to say, you know, there are actually some, some really interesting uses of video that the average lawyer could make use of to help his client and maybe make some of the things that he does more profitable because if you're doing things that you can't charge for, you know, trips out or that sort of thing, that video could really help you.
1: No, I agree. And and I think that we could probably name off uh, another dozen or so uses for videos with lawyers. But I think one of the things that the folks listening to this podcast should consider is what are the ways in which um, using video might work for you, whether it's depositions or hearings, whether it's clients who can't make it in from wherever they happen to be because of the weather, because of their age, because of other reasons. But let's kind of pivot just a little bit. Let's, let's assume that makes the case for why people should use video. And let's Let's really start talking about some of these services themselves. But before we do that, I kind of like to – before I really talk about the service itself, I like to talk about um, what a requirement is, what a lawyer's requirement should be for video services. Do you want to kind of tee up how you like to judge that sort of process to, to figure out what the right video service might be? Well,
0: for me, as listeners of the show will know, I go to Clayton Christensen's jobs to be done theory and and say, okay, what am I hiring video conferencing to do? So I think you do want to have a good sense of what the job you're hiring video conferencing to do, because that, if you have a good feel for that, then that will drive the services that you will consider, and maybe the hardware and software that you use. So if you say. What I'm going to do is just meet with people and facilitate long distance meetings. It could be that something as simple as FaceTime or a free video, you know, one to one service, would be what you're looking for. If you say, "Oh, I want to collaborate on uh, looking at drafts of agreements or whiteboarding." or doing some other things or there's an international or other unusual component to what I'm doing, that may be something different. If you say quality doesn't matter, or if I'm doing something that where quality totally matters, then then that will drive, you know, a different set of uh, equipment purchases. So I, I think that you kind of want to get a feel for that. And then within that start to say do I want to use a cloud based service? Do I want to put together a conference room in my office where I can do video and kind of make it like a set that's for video? So I would start to, that's what I would start to say is can I kind of pin down what it is I plan to do? Um, and how I plan to start with this and then match the services to, and like I said, if you're, if you're going to invest in hardware and software in a significant way, then, then I would want to understand why I actually wanted to do that.
1: I think that there are also a number of feature uh, requirements that people will need to think about. And um, we, we covered a number of these when we gave the webinar. But so I'd like to go through a couple of the requirements that I consider to be sort of basic requirements for looking at some of these services. First one is cost. Uh, some of these services are free, but not many. Some of them offer a free subscription model for a small group or with limited functionality. Uh, I think we both agree that having a paid service with better functionality and better support is probably more recommended than the free service here. You'll want to consider whether you get toll-free numbers or whether local numbers are okay. Uh, If you have an international practice, you want to make sure that international calling is supported by the service. Uh, You want to think about whether there are collaboration tools that are there. If you only need video, then that might not be important but if you want to show documents, if you want to have a whiteboard up so you can have a discussion and draw diagrams or do calculations or other things. Um, You want to be able to share your screen and let other people uh, get on your screen if you want. It's also, I think, useful to have a a back-channel chat function so that you can talk to others while the the meeting is going on. I think the last basic requirement is support. Having someone, either technical support that can help you or your attendees out is useful. Uh, A lot of lawyers are using some video conferencing services, not really for video meetings, but for hosting webinars and the availability of support to help your webinar attendees with minor technical issues like they can't hear you or they're having trouble with the video or, or whatever is better handled by somebody else rather than you while you're trying to give a presentation. So I think those are some of the basic requirements, but kind of the, the, the elephant in the room as far as the requirements concerned is security. I, do you want to Maybe kick that off, Dennis, and talk about some of the security aspects we think are important.
0: Yeah, so security runs across the board. So so you're going to say, well... There's certain sense that you want to have encryption, you want to have it protected, you have some obligations obviously of confidentiality. So there's one level of service and you say, if I go with an online service that's you know a business service, I'm probably going to be in pretty good shape there in terms of the technical aspects of video conferencing. You still may have some questions about how video is stored that you want to investigate. I think the really interesting aspect of security to me is how how do you control say, who's in the room, who's in the room and can hear things on both in your office and at the other sites. Does that raise some, some issues? Uh, what happens if you're, say, meeting with an elderly estate planning client and there are family members in the room? Now, if you're in your office, you could control that really well and, and kick the people out of the room. But if they're on video, you may not even know that they're there. And so, so there are some other security aspects where You need to think about that. Obviously, you don't want to do video, you know, a video conference in a Starbucks, that sort of thing. So you kind of need to think these things through because some of the things you take for granted about just physical security, confidentiality in an in-person meeting becomes something that you have to think about in a video meeting.
1: And along those lines, if you have a practice that involves talking with your clients about their health condition or um, their, their medical records or things like that, you have going to have to make sure that uh, if you're saving those recordings, if you're saving those meetings, because sometimes most of these services provide for the ability to, uh, to save meetings on the service's servers, um, you want to make sure that the service is able to meet HIPAA requirements, for example. If you have other regulations that govern the communications you have with your client and the information you manage on their behalf, that has to also come into play. I think that part of what goes a long way here is having a conversation with your client ahead of time. Say, you know, we, we used to talk about this when email was the new way that people were communicating with their their lawyers and their clients, having video conferencing mentioned in a retainer agreement, uh, in an engagement letter to say, uh, we are going to use video conferencing. It is a convenient uh, method of communication and we have a secure way to do this that will protect privilege. Give them that notice. They're signing off on that that they know what's going on. Educating them, I think, is important, but educating yourself is also important. One of the, the big aspects of any new technology tool these days is that the new spectrum of the the ABA rule of technological competence that one was adopted by the ABA about 5 years ago and now has been adopted by more than uh, more than half the states i think i think is what it is and Put simply, it requires that you know how to use the technology that you employ to serve your clients. And I think that having a tool that's easy to use, and maybe that's one requirement that we didn't mention earlier, having something that's easy to use ought to help you satisfy um, that uh, requirement of competence a lot easier than finding something that's too complicated or that you never take the time to actually learn about.
0: Yeah. And I would say the other thing is that this strikes me as potentially one of those great client-driven technologies. So it could be that the clients who are going to push you in directions uh, of how you make your decision because you certainly want to make it easy for clients who use video conferencing to use it with you. So that may drive some of your considerations. So to me, that's kind of a a fascinating part of this because I think that you may get the push from clients, but you could also be out ahead of clients and say, hey, I can offer video conferencing. Like Tom says, Tom, my favorite tip from the webinar was your thing about focus on the engagement letter and covering video conferencing because I think that's such a good idea. But you can you can look at that and, and say, can I price this in a way so it becomes attractive to clients to meet with me by video rather than to have – them come in or me drive out to to where they are is there a way to incentivize that is there a way to kind of price things in a way where I get better cost recovery of what I'm doing or I, I just ease the wear and tear on myself from driving around like I said I just think of the rural practice and say oh my god this the video conferencing could be an amazing benefit to uh, to your work life and professional life and your personal life
1: So let's talk a little bit about kind of what's available out there. What are the services that are available? I guess maybe real quick before we do that, and we're going to be talking mostly about solutions and tools that are good for small firms, solo lawyers, maybe medium-sized firms. I think, Dennis, you might want to talk about some high-end tools at the very beginning. But for those of you who may not have the budget for something more, really we're talking about needing four basic things. One, a computer, a laptop, a desktop, you probably already have that. Two, you need a a video conferencing service. We'll talk about some of those in just a second. You probably want some headphones. I think that talking to your computer without headphones, without a headset, uh, sounds a little bit like the speakerphone uh, effect and it sounds like you're far away, not particularly professional, not the worst thing in the world, um, but at the same time, uh, you may look a little awkward on video with a headset on. And then finally, whether you need a webcam or not. Most computers nowadays have cameras built into them, uh, but uh, you may decide you want to have a a stationary webcam at your desk that has maybe a little better resolution, that it has higher quality images um, so that you can just have a much higher quality picture. Real quick, I want to kind of talk about just the services that I think are interesting out there, and I'm really only going to mention two or three of them. Actually, I'm going to just talk about two, and then uh, and then Dennis, let you talk about more. I think that uh, I know you're going to kind of handle the Microsoft Office side of the spectrum. I'm going to talk about Google Hangouts. Uh, if uh, you're on a law firm that has G Suite or Google Apps or whatever it's being called these days, it automatically comes with Google Hangouts. But I think that it's a great video option. You can get up to 25 videos users. Um, You can use Hangouts on Air to broadcast a meeting to unlimited users via YouTube. Again, it's really only useful if you have a G Suite account, although if you have the account, then anybody can join regardless of that. So I think that's one good option. My favorite video conferencing option for, for solo and small firm lawyers is called Zoom. I've used Zoom for my personal video calling needs for a couple of years now. I love it. It can host up to 500 video participants. It has tons of collaboration features. If you want something a little bit more, it's got enterprise offerings. So I think that's nice to be able to to upgrade the services that you have. But there's also a free version, you can have up to 50 people in a meeting. uh, Although that meeting is only limited to 40 minutes, you can at least try it out to see if it works for you. Those are two of my favorites. I know there's probably more I could mention. But Dennis, you want to spend some time talking about what services you either like or have used or would recommend?
0: So you and I have used Skype for video chat for a long time. So what I call a personal Skype is one thing that people have used for a long time, and a lot of listeners are probably familiar with it. Skype for business is, is sort of Microsoft's Business video conferencing tool. So it's part of the Office 365 suite. So it could be something you already have access to or can pay for really easily. And what I like about it is you can use it for instant messaging. I can be instant messaging somebody. I can shift. So I'm talking to them in audio as a call. I can shift to video and I can also share screens just by clicking a mouse. And so as, a, as something you might already have access to or could easily get in there, it does most everything that you want and I think it, it works pretty well. So I I like that. So what I would say is if you're, if you're looking, if you're putting together a list of tools to look at, I would probably just go ahead and put Skype for Business on that list. The other thing is that I've used the Cisco Telepresence, which is sort of like the you know, whatever you want to call it, the Ferrari of uh, video conferencing and it's totally cool. You see, you can sometimes see this on TV interview shows so there's these monitors that are super high resolution and it looks like you're in the same room with people because of the size of the monitors and the quality and it's kind of a weird effect because you can be in a in a meeting in a room with people in different parts of the world and you know you see people well enough that you almost want to you know, you can compliment them on what they're wearing or their watch or whatever. And and there are times where I almost felt like I wanted to like lean over and whisper to something. And then I realized they were in a completely different city. So that's the sort of high end. That's cool to see, but, What's interesting is that some big law firms and some other video conferencing centers in certain cities make that stuff available. So you could have, when you need the really high-end stuff, you might be able to rent a room for an hour or so or whenever you need it. And it could, so instead of investing in like the elaborate equipment and stuff like that, you could just rent some time at a place and do the video conferencing that way. So I think there's a number of things out there, WebEx, GoToMeeting, you can take a look at all of those. But again, it's sort of focusing on what you think is important and then uh, moving on with that. Tom, I know that we wanted to do like a a lightning round of our favorite video conferencing tips. Do you want to, should we move to that right now?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'll do I'll do a couple tips, you do a couple tips, and then that'll take us out. So I think, first of all, good lighting is really important. Having lighting above and behind you tends to cause a lot of glare and a lot of shadows. So the, the worst of all possible worlds, you want to move, make sure that the light is around to the front, you keep the background a little bit dark, all the light on you, it definitely makes for a better image for you. Again, having the right webcam can also be important. Look at Logitech. Logitech's got some good webcams. The C C920, the C930 are really pretty good cameras that you'll definitely want to look at. And then I will say always uh, also be early for your conference. Uh, you know, whether it's video or audio, frankly, I, I think that um, it's really not good when a, when a lawyer is two to three minutes late keeping the clients waiting online. The other reason why being early is a good idea is that often your video conferencing software may choose that exact moment to update itself, which forces you to wait. And so I think try to fire up that video software ahead ahead. ahead of time and get those updates out of the way. Dennis, what about you? I
0: mean, I can't say enough about lighting. I feel like I spend four times the time in prep on lighting when I'm doing video than I do on anything else, uh, especially if I'm doing like a video webinar. Um, But I do focus on the audio. I mean, you mentioned using a headset. In some cases, you might want to use a good microphone. Sometimes people talk about, I know on the webinar, somebody asked us about speakers in the room and stuff like that. And my feeling is if you're going to invest money, you invest it in the pickup side of things. So in a mic, Good microphone, uh, that sort of thing, because audio is important. It can be hard to hear people, and you want to eliminate that as is an issue. The other thing to think about is is uh, what to wear. I mean, not just to be professional, of course, but you can learn from TV broadcasting and just get the hints of what people tell you to wear when you're on TV because that's really what people are going to compare your video conference to is what they're used to seeing on TV. So you do want to avoid the patterns that can cause weird effects on video. You want to not kind of choose colors that wash yourself out. You don't want to have glittery or sparkly things that are distracting. So for me, it's like the light blue dress shirt, you know, navy jacket. Uh, and you're generally going to be in good shape. A little tan, self-tan never hurts, uh, so you can consider that. And then, uh, Tom, the last thing I would say is I always like to remind people that on video conferencing, you are always on, and you need to be aware that people can see you. So you want to avoid doing other things, having stuff going on behind you, rolling your eyes, you know, making – Faces, all those sorts of things, because people can see you. And so you need to kind of think of this as a production and a performance and think about you're on a set and you're it's not that you're acting, but you're definitely on screen all of the time.
1: Okay, I think it's probably time to wrap this up soon, but let's leave our listeners with some tips for either getting started or uh, kind of moving forward with video conferencing. I- I'm just gonna do one. I know, Dennis, you're kind of a rule of three guy, but I'm gonna do one quick tip, and that is to take advantage of the free services that are out there just to test them out. So I may not recommend that you stick with them, but go to Zoom and uh, and sign up for the free service. You'll, you can have 50 people, attend you're going to have 40 minute meetings but at least it gives you the opportunity to test it out to really kick the tires figure out whether it's for you whether you like it or not i like that feature in a lot of these services being able to try it for free and make a decision whether you like it before you invest in the better more substantive services that are offered at the higher subscription levels dennis what about you Yeah, I mean, always
0: emphasize that question of what are you hiring video conferencing to do? Ask that question, really think it through. And then what I always suggest to people is take out a piece of paper or give yourself... 15 minutes and then say can i come up with three or more ways where i might use video either for a client or a matter or for something to try and say let's identify something that i would like to do with somebody who would like to try it and let's see how it works in kind of a safe non-threatening way that might pay off for me and and like i said if you if you're driving around to places that's a, to me a great place to start looking for ad video
1: conferencing. And before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor.
0: Looking for a process server you can trust? ServNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit
1: www.ServNow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We're excited to have another
0: audio audience question for this episode. Our listeners and our producers really like this segment. And I love audio questions because I don't have to come up with a topic for this segment. So let's go right to the question.
1: Hi, Dennis and Tom, this is Deborah Savager with LegalOfficeGuru.com, and I spend my time training lawyers on Microsoft Office for Windows, but I'm getting more and more calls for doing the same sort of training on Mac. What's your take on how many lawyers are actually using Mac? And... Tom, you get to answer first. Well, you know, this is a moving target. I, I'm not sure that there's a good answer to this question. And I'm not sure that anybody really, really knows what the answer is to this. And here's the, the prime example of this. About, I guess, three or four years ago, Clio, the cloud practice management software company, did a survey. One of the questions that they asked was how many of you, I think, like Mac or like and or use Mac. And the number that came back was 66%. I think that number is extraordinarily high. There might be a lot a lot of Mac loving lawyers out there, but I just don't think 66% of lawyers. Are using Macs Now, by the same token, you know, one of the, the surveys that we generally like to look at, the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center survey, last year they found that the statistics are kind of confounding to me. Uh, they say that 12% are using Mac desktops, 20% are using Mac laptops, but only 8% are using the Mac operating system. Now, it's entirely possible that people really didn't understand what the question was, but if we're most generous, then we're saying that maybe 20%. 20% of lawyers are using Max. I'd argue that it's lower than that, but uh, that's about as far as I'm willing to go at this point. I think uh, I think somewhere between 10 and 20% is probably my best guess. What about you Dennis?
0: I'd probably go a little bit less. I mean, the sort of the numbers as of maybe like 2016, I I think, is that Mac is around 10 percent, Windows about 90 percent. I would guess, given the conservatism of law firms, that the fact that law firms buy in bulk, and so you have those, you know, a lot of big firms on Windows, that I would say we're below 10 percent. I mean, it's a very – I mean, I love my Mac, So, you know, I, I don't know that the numbers really tell you that much. I mean, I think you want to pick what's best for you, but I'd go a little bit lower than I think what's interesting is you do get the sense that in the solo market that maybe Macs skew a little bit higher. And it's interesting to, to track that down. But I you know, from from ABA Tech Show and other places, there's definitely a much increased interest in in Macs over the years, but I'd say that that ten percent that they say across the board is probably The high point, and I would guess in in law, is probably maybe even significantly under that. But uh, as you say, Tom, there's survey information, but it's just a guess as to what the actual numbers really are. But interesting question, and one we revisit from time to time. So now it's time for our parting shots,
1: that one-tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I'm in a bit of a rut with my parting shots because last time I talked about um, some of my favorite Bluetooth speakers and then what happens, but I find a new favorite Bluetooth speaker specifically for dealing with my desktop computer. So I I didn't want a wired connection to my computer. I really wanted a a high quality Bluetooth speaker that I could both use with my desktop and then pick up and take with me somewhere. And I have found a fantastic speaker. I really like it. It's the Bose Revolve and I'm using the the Revolve Plus. There's two speakers. One is called the Revolve. The other was called the Revolve Plus. Um, There are, like you might expect from Bose, a little pricey. The Revolve is uh, $199. The Revolve Plus is $299. But I'll tell you, the quality between the UE Boom speakers that I would Recommended in the last podcast, and these the difference in quality is really striking. I mean, I, I get very, very high quality sound out of this speaker. I would recommend it in a heartbeat if you've got the money to spend on it. Um, the Bose Revolve Plus Sound Link Bluetooth speakers are really, I think, worth the money. Tom, are you up to triple figures in speakers in your house yet? It's, it seems like you got to be close. I'm uh, I'm, I'm getting there <laughs> slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so, my parting
0: shot is uh, As people know, I'm the the chair of the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center board this year. And so one of the things that LTRC has done over the years is what we call Women of Legal Tech. And so the new class was announced for 2017 at ABA Tech Show, and we'll put a link on the site but you can find it on the LTRC site and I just really have a big hat tip to Heidi Alexander who came up with this idea for a blog post of all the women in legal technology a couple years ago and I saw it and I was like this is the greatest thing I've been trying you know I I just got so tired of hearing people say we can't find women to speak on technology topics and I go like there's a zillion of them and you know I I was already in the practice of if you ask me for recommendations for speakers, I usually give three and there's always going to be two women in the ones I give. So we've Heidi offered the follow up to this to LTRC and and I said, let's do that and we'll come up with a way of, of doing it every year. And so they add a class every year and there's a committee of women who uh, select this. And I just think it's really helpful. And one of the best things about it to me was I heard that from this year already, somebody who was in this class got a really great speaking gig on technology and when she asked the organizer they said the way they found her is because she was on this women of legal technology list and you know that made my year actually for LTRC because I, I think it's a great thing so great group of people on this list the ongoing list is great. And if anybody tells you that they can't find women speakers, just point them to this list and tell them that they're not doing our homework at all.
1: Yep. nope, it's a great list. It's a great resource, too. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at TKMReport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. And don't forget, we really love those audio questions, so please keep them coming in. There's a place to submit them on the Legal Talk Network site. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to
0: the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast.